Greetings listeners and those who have us on in the background, I am your host Ian Shearer and welcome to the First Time Films Podcast. Today on the show we'll be having a chat about David Fincher's most recent flip, Mac, released late last year, which follows the true story of Hollywood screenwriter Herman J. Bankowitz and the time he spent in the throes of writing the massively famous Citizen Kane. Today I'm joined by my two wonderful guests, Keir, how are you? Hello, I'm good, thanks Ian. <laughs> Glad to hear that, and Grace, how are you? Good, thanks, how are you? Yeah, I'm not too shabby, not too shabby <laughs> at all. So let's just dive in. Uh, we'll get a couple of initial reactions. What you, what did you think of it? Just hot off the press. Did you like it? Did you not like it? What do you reckon, Grace? I'm not going to lie. See, when David asked me to do this episode, I said to him, I was like, I've never had a more neutral opinion to a film in my <laughs> life. Like, I, I thought it was fine. <laughs> like, that's just, I was, yeah. Yeah, quite, 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 a, quite a mild, mild, mild reaction. Yeah. That'll make, that'll, make, that'll make for a great conversation, of course. I was going to say, that's how I think, David, I was like, are you sure you want me on this one? But he was like, yeah, go for it. No, as well, we can we can, we can we can dive into some of what you thought about that. What about yeah. you, Keir? What do you reckon about it? See, I think that David asked me to be on this episode of the <laughs> podcast because I think I'm one of the only few people who did have, like, a violent reaction against Mank because, <laughs> yeah, on the surface, it is a completely harmless biopic film. But, I mean, I watched it the night it sort of was released on Netflix and wound up in this kind of fury of what a terrible film I want those hours of my life back. I mean, I think it's... <laughs> no, really, and I'm not exaggerating for the sake of the show. I think I messaged David at the time saying it's one of the most egregious, <laughs> abstract failures of cinema I've ever seen. I think it's really dreadful. Right, okay, well, a uh, very... <laughs> <laughs> a very, very strong, very strong reaction right off the bat. Got people on both ends of the reaction scale, I suppose. Well, let's just, well, let's just, uh, let's just have a chat then. Like, so that's a David Fincher movie. I was, I thought it was, uh, I was, I thought it was like the, the least David Fincher, David Fincher film I think I've ever seen. I agree. I think, I, yep. Sorry. I was just gonna say because I was like listening to him speaking about it, and he was saying because it's like his dad wrote it, mm. and he was saying like his dad really disliked loads of his like early films like Seven and Fight Club and stuff. So I was like, is that why it's not it doesn't feel like a David Fincher film? That's my my thinking is because his dad didn't like his films. Oh wow, there's a, there's a <laughs> like, Freudian aspect yeah, to, the, exactly. to the production of this movie. Uh, yeah, I know because I just thought like I mean obviously like when you talk think about Fight Club and Seven and stuff like these are very like strongly narrative driven yeah, like films, like there's there's always like they're always chasing they're always chasing something, working towards something zodiac as well. And this one's quite kind of meandering and uh, meandering and intimate and uh, just kind of very conversa- very conversational. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Keir? What do you what do you reckon on the kind of like David, David Fincher front? Um, so I do really appreciate that it's uh, the sentimentality of like you know his his dad his dad who's died and he made it for. There's that connection that binds them. But I think it is glaring that his heart, that David Fincher's heart is not in the script because mm. not long after I watched um, Mank, I went back and watched Seven. And my personal favourite David Fincher movie, Alien 3. And those films are just, you know, they're visceral with like viscous gore and horridness and they're so textual and it. And everything with Mank was kind of so flat and rubbery and half-hearted. Yeah. And I, I, I was... Because I even thought, you know, it's not like David Fincher has to be violent to be David Fincher. The Social mm. Network is yeah, a distinctly David... Network, David ne- 
yeah, it's a distinctly Fincher yeah. film. It's cold. It's cutting and compelling without any murder. So no, I think I think Mank <laughs> is this glaring kind of war on his filmography at this point. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I think I think I think I'd agree. Um, I know because it was this kind of like homage to his, you know, father's work and stuff like that. But it did really feel like it was like it wasn't really like his movie to make in a way. I know, like, I know it's his, I know it's his dad. Yeah. But uh, yeah, because it was it was really just kind of like conversational and slow. I actually I actually did like the film. I'd like uh, I'd say I'd say. I didn't think it was an egregious, horrible nightmare like here, <laughs> but uh, I did like it. I thought, um, I thought what really shined out. See, because it was this kind of intimate kind of. I really thought the kind of performances shined out. Like Gary Oldman is just a great actor, and uh, I was really I just, surprised by Amanda Seyfried. I yeah, thought you know, that, that was the best thing I think about it. Yeah, that that really uh, that really sat well, well with me actually. Um, Amanda Seyfried, uh, she had that kind of like. You know, like kind of magical quality that some of the some of the kind of like classic Hollywood actresses have. Yeah, the wee like twinkle in her eyes. Yeah, so. yeah, I know, yeah, <laughs> the, the kind of, yeah, the kind of kind of princess. Like I don't know, I don't even know. How yeah. to, I don't really know how to describe <laughs> it. But uh, yeah, I thought I wanted to see if he was great. And uh, but yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, Kira's probably gonna have some uh, well, <laughs> some thoughts. I, I don't know if I just thought she was great because I was surprised. <laughs> see if I, if it was an actress I didn't know, would I just think well she's acting? But I don't know if it was just because I had quite low expectations i said i i think i need to sort of both agree and disagree with you guys here because I, I definitely remember saying to david at the time there's something really strange about a film where you have gary oldman and the lead really quite respectable character actors like tuppus middleton and tom burke and charles dance yeah and lily collins supporting and amanda seyfried is outperforming all of them yeah i guess i completely agree she is the best performance in the film but i don't think that's necessarily i think she's the only good performance (laughs) she she invests in that role it's like it really suits her she's fucking charming in it as well um and i've thought a lot about the performances in this film because and especially it was a a definitely mode of revisitation i I was I, i don't know about you guys but like when you first fall in love with films, I think Gary Oldman is one of those actors who you kind of really idolise. And this just, I just refuse to believe he could put in such a kind of hokey, unbelievable, tired, a bit lame performance. Yeah. It was very cliche from someone so original and colourful. I know, I couldn't even really describe his performance. Like, I don't know, even though he's the main character, he just he felt like a very like you said, very stereotypical, tired old screenwriter. So you were almost looking, I think that's why, like you're saying, Amanda Seyfried felt good because you were just looking for something a bit different. And I thought Lily Collins as well, Like I thought she was surprising. I thought mm. she was quite good. But again, I don't know, any other film, I think they would have been good characters, but not the best. Like, yeah, that's that's to- that's totally fair enough. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I I like I like Gary, I like Gary Oldman. Maybe that is this thing that Kier's talking about. But kind of like, yeah. he's kind of you do kind of idolize him because he's just kind of he's a legend regardless of like yeah. this role. But uh, you know, I I mean, like, I think I feel like you're being hard. I feel like you're being harsh. So <laughs> I, 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 I thought I thought I thought it was I thought it was great. I thought um I thought like see the wee witty co- see all the like, the kind of wee witty comments mm. that were. Obviously, kind of like went to bleed into like what his personality might have been like and how that influenced uh, like the script. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that I found I found that stuff all really charming, but 
I don't know. I feel like ho- hokey. Hokey's the hokey's the wrong word. I feel like <laughs> I maybe maybe hokey is the wrong word, but I ha- I did believe that I have seen alcoholic screenwriter. That's I've done about I'm, a yeah. thousand times on screen, yeah. and I didn't think Gary Oldman added anything to it. I think that's what I was meaning as well. That said it a lot more concisely, but um, because it reminded me of Have you seen that film with Brian Cranston, Trumbull? Yeah. Again, about a screenwriter, and I was like, this could just be the same film, but one's in black and white. Mm-hmm. That yeah, that I just thought it felt quite similar his performance. Yeah, on on that point, see the black and white. Do you think it was all? Do you think it was a, a worthwhile decision? I thought visually it was really good. I thought that was one of its strongest. I. Honestly, I'm not being contrarian. I thought the black and white looked <laughs> fuck ugly. Like I thought, I genuinely like thought it looked because it wasn't to me. It wasn't black and white. It was just grey. It, it wasn't vivid. There was no shadow. There was no depth of tone. Everything just blurred into this grey, you know, backdrop. And it was yeah. so rubbery. They all looked like they were kind of CGI and they'd bounce off one another. There was no depth in the cinematography. I was genuinely like, God, this is a visually ugly film to look at what did you I, I, think of the sound sorry uh, pretty good yeah <laughs> <laughs> but little little look on it well do you know i thought i thought i kind of i kind of wavered between both bo- both your points i think there were yeah. some shots which looked great you know yeah. they used some of that kind of like citizen came kind of deep focus type stuff uh but i thought i thought some of the shots did look really cool but um, also, I completely agree that at some points, like you know, like when you can tell a movie's been filmed in the modern day, mm. and they've put and the, like I know I know they kind of filmed it in black and white, but you can just somehow tell it looks like it, it looks a wee bit fake somehow. Like yes. the like yeah, the rubber thing. Like uh, there's not enough de- not enough definition because that's the thing which makes like kind of a lot of the noir. That's what it gives a lot of the noir films like the, that visual charm, like that, like the harsh cut, the harsh colors. It, it had to be the the zoo scene for me was the the worst looking of them all. <laughs> Do you know the, the scene I'm talking about? Sure. Yeah, they could yeah. have made it, yeah, it's like, and they could have made it so much more epic because it's like yeah. a fucking huge it's a fucking huge zoo and that's obviously where they based the massive zoo and what Zucanda? Zuc- what what's the what's the place in Zucanda King called again? The oh, Mad yeah. Palace. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't matter. But yeah I know that they, could have, they definitely could have made it look more kinda like epic. If they because they're obviously they've they put that in because he's meant to be inspired by this William Hurst. He's meant to be like kind of inspired by this William Hurst guy, and um, yeah, yeah, no, no, I think I think you're I think you're right, but I think at other points it did look really great. Um, but see, now that I'm saying that, like, I actually can't think of an example where I went like, well, wow. Funny you should say that, Ian, because see, when you were just saying that there, I forgot that actually this morning because I watched the film when it roundabout when it first came out, and I was tempted to watch it again, but I was like, oh, I don't know if I can be bothered to be honest. So I like was looking up the plot on Wikipedia, and I was like. I feel like I don't remember half of this. And I think it was just because visually I couldn't picture it. The only bits I feel like I can visually picture are the bit with Amanda Seyfried when she's introduced and she's like on, standing on that stake. Oh, and this is what made me start to like that scene because then yeah. he goes uh, like, what's at stake here? Or something yeah. like that. And, <laughs> and I just thought that was a great line. Uh, I think it does have like moments of good dialogue, but I think, yeah, that's what a lot of people commented on, on the kind of screenplay of it. People being like, it's a technically good screenplay, supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> Alle- allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Rumours have it. That <laughs> I thought in terms of the screenplay, 
what what was good about the screenplay, and this is a sad, unfortunate thing for Mank, but the strong points of the screenplay for me, time and time again, just make you think, oh God, Citizen Kane's a good movie, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, was... I mean, everything good that Mank does just makes you go, oh, Citizen Kane is great. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. Also, in terms of like screenplay, right, I, by the end of the film, I was like, I didn't actually really care that he didn't, we wasn't given the credit and then it was like but he then was given it so you know when you're like by the end of the film I was like I, don't, I wasn't really invested yeah point like I didn't care about what he was fighting for cause, see, and then he just got it so see on that point <laughs> I totally agree with you Grace can I I'd like to express on that point what I think <laughs> the biggest flaw of the film is <laughs> is that I really don't think the movie knew what it was yeah. Uh, tonally or in genre, it flitted between sentimental Hollywood biopic, like The mm. Artist, uh, to political, you yeah. know, like to political yeah. thriller, yeah. and then just sort of dropping that storyline and mm. picking it up whenever it seemed convenient, convinced, uh, sorry, whenever it seemed convenient. And it also wasn't uh, the kind of dark uh, telling of a secret undercover and tortured genius like yeah. The Aviator. It, it just didn't seem to know what it wanted to be at any time. So by the, by the end, you have the weird political strands just left open, and it's a bit glib. And he's kind of won the award, but you also don't really care because he never yeah. he never really lost anything in his filmmaking career. Yeah, we only it, ever that was always like the agreement from the start. So it wasn't like he got snubbed. Yeah, like ha- like he got wronged or anything. Um, and apparently as well. I was reading something and it was like apparently it's like pretty heavily biased like a lot of people are like oh no he, he was kind of given the credits and it was like apparently it's pretty anti-Wells which I mean it's quite obvious but a lot of people say it's like unfairly so so then it just makes you think like at the end of it like alright oh, so it's not even that accurate yeah. even like yeah I suppose I don't know I kind of like uh, they, kind of, they kind of make it yeah they kind of make it Orson Welles' character like kind of He's just kind of lurking in the background. I know they were like definitely mm. making that choice, but because like uh, the point they're making, which would, which is where I'm mean, going, like uh, Orson Welles wasn't involved until the very end. Yeah, because he's only like he only kind of drops it. He only drops in to kind of say hello, like the whole movie. I thought he was good. I thought he was. I mean, I don't like. I don't obviously know exactly how true to life yeah. the film was, but like I know I thought Orson Welles would be in it a lot more. Like he, he was such, he's such a kind of dominating force. And yeah. film in general, maybe that's maybe that was a deliberate decision. It was like yeah, Orson Welles has got <laughs> Orson Welles has his credit. Yeah. So I was like, oh, it's just Herman's but turn. It just seems weird doing a film about Citizen Kane with so yeah. little Orson Welles, in my opinion. I just, I same. I was kind of waiting for him to creep up a bit more. <laughs> I thought that, you know, personally, I I really like Orson Welles movies. Uh, I think he's funny as well. Like I don't think Citizen Kane is the be all and end all cinema, but it's a good movie, and he made quite a lot of good films. And I love that he got really fat towards the end and just made (laughs) movies that he wanted to make and didn't care if anyone liked them. Uh But having this, you know, just this idea that the tragic, the tragic narrative behind Citizen Kane is that he was fucking what twenty four. He's this twenty four year old kid from kind of nowhere who just appears makes the greatest film of all time and can never live up to it again. And if I was, shit, look, I'm no screenwriter or filmmaker or whatever, but you hear that narrative and you go, well, surely that'll be the heart of the movie. And I what know, you have instead... more interesting, yeah. Mm, 
I think Tom Burke does a really good impression of uh, impersonation, I should say. Yeah, uh, impersonation yeah, that was of, of, of uh, Wells, but it wasn't an impersonation of any character or depth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just looked, it just looked, it just looked good, and he like it looked the part with his beard. I didn't realize he was only twenty four. Oh, I know it's young. depressing. Isn't it? Yeah, the, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, don't start. Yeah. <laughs> but that's funny. Like that's not the only thing where the kind of age thing crops up because I didn't realize that. Uh, like there's a point like near the end where he's just like I'm only 44 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was like wait a minute is he not like 60 <laughs> I, was like, I, I was like I was like I was like I was like he's already like 10 years older than life expectancy in the, <laughs> in the 30s like what, what's he getting so what's he getting so annoyed about yeah that, I didn't realise till the end of the film when it was like you know and, and Joseph Mankiewicz no what was his name again it wasn't Joseph Mankiewicz Hank. Hank, I think. Yeah, yeah, and it was like... And no, he Herman, got, Herman, sorry. Herm, Herman J. Mankiewicz. Yeah. <laughs> this is how much this uh, movie's had. <laughs> what's the name of the main character again? And it's like, you know, and Herman J. Mankiewicz died at the age of 56, and Gary Oldman's standing on screen looking like a 70-year-old, and you're like, <laughs> well, that's just fucking jarring. What? <laughs> no, yeah, that, that's just not surprising. That's how he looked at fucking 44. He must be disheveled, so disheveled by the time he died. It almost felt like a film to show kids about like alcoholism, like you know, in uh, The Simpsons when that wee like Hans Molman guy is like yeah. all wrinkly. Like, I'm only thirty. Yeah, <laughs> I think they yeah. So sometimes they do. I feel like they kind of lean on the more more like his alcoholism is like a kind of quirky pe- yeah, personality trait. I, I kind of like, resented the presentation of alcoholism in the film yeah. because it's it's just another movie where. Like alcoholism is like a superpower, or alcohol to these people is like you know fucking Popeye taking spinach. Yeah, I hated how I hated how he cracked open that case and drank all the alcohol, and they came back the next day and Lily was like, "Oh my god, you know so many pages." You're like, "Oh my god, don't don't turn this debilitating illness into some fucking amazing yeah. power." Oh, he let he yeah. left a piece of his liver on the page. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, totally. Yeah, no, like that. That, that was weird. Kind of using it, like it was kind of like, oh, it's this kind of like liquid courage, so you can mm. say what what everyone's thinking, type thing. And to go back to your point about the kind of uh, pl- like how political it was, I thought, yeah, I thought you're right. They, they definitely could have leaned harder on it. I did a wee bit of, um, I mean, if, or if, that, if that's the movie they wanted to make, because obviously, like, kind of Citizen Kane is quite a kind of, you know, it's like kind of capitalist critique yeah. so kind of quite so socialist type movie but they kind of like they only kind of ha- they only kind of go half in yeah um, yeah i agree yeah but uh because yeah like uh, they said that like you know they they brought in the whole kind of up uh what's his name uh upton sinclair upton like he sinclair, was the kind of yeah. he was like the kind of he inspired that he inspired them and this is who was meant to be is like kind of the parallel between him and william hearst but like you never really got that involved with that he was just like it seemed that kind of way, like that. You see that a lot, like a lot in kind of like movies nowadays. We need to like hint at like, the fact, that, like, yeah, we're like we're modern thinkers, even though it's uh, even though it's the thirties and forties. Like after, like we think about how they think the way people think nowadays. Like yeah. so, they can make so they can like kind of make excuses for the fact that there's probably a bunch of other kind of like horrible shit going going on that you just, like, <laughs> forgive. You meant to get forgive the characters for. Yeah, but no. yeah, I mean, I know. But, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. There's something about me that just wants me to give it a pass. Give, give it a pass because I didn't really like it. There was um, the Upton Sinclair plotline. For me, you you remember? It's good that you know Grace. You brought up Trumbo 
which obviously mm. was about direct, oh. more directly doing McCarthyism yeah. uh, and blacklisting and what was it, you know, the, the house of un-American activities. And Sinclair was one of these guys who, you know, I knew of him briefly before because of his writing and then looked into more after the film was on you. Know, he was embroiled with the, you know, American Soviets and communists and, and the dangerous left of America and how alienating and disenfranchised. But they also, you know, rejected him. Even they saw him as too capitalist. The right saw him as too left. And and his position in American politics at the time and American art was really kind of important. And he is also this, much like you said, a character that just pops in to say hello and is gone again. Yeah, because, right, I'm trying to think. I could be missing something glaringly obvious. But does that impact then Citizen Kane? Or is it more just telling like of the circumstances of the time? I, I mean they're definitely trying to draw a par- they're definitely trying is to draw what, a parallel yeah. there though, because obviously like he goes in he goes in and makes a big speech about how like his kinda like old pal William Harris, the mm-hmm. Republican, like this whole story is inspired by him and obviously people are getting upset because they think characters are based on yeah. them, like Marion. Yeah. But uh I know, but yeah, so but I, I know. I, I thought like it was kind of like the. I don't. I, I don't like the fact that like it's like talking about like the, like a certain event as the direct inspiration for this yeah, exact thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was that, definitely just obviously more based on general general feelings, frustration, frustrations of like post depression mm-hmm. America, like mid depression America. It's like it's strange like that. Did you know that Upton Sinclair wrote the novel that There Will Be Blood is based on, based oh, off yeah. of? Wow, really? Yeah, I mean, like, I even think that would be an interesting part in Something the movie. Something to add, or yeah, even hint at. To hint at that, they, like, such... Because uh, there will be blood, I think you can... the tie It's a tycoon movie. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's another great film about tycoons comes out of this intimate... You know, all these men knew each other, and they would go on to write <laughs> damning condemnations of big business and capitalism in, uh, in America. You know, losing the heart of the American dream to selling out your, you you know to, yeah, just the well tycoons these, the control that Hearst's control over media, um, the oil barons control over the expansive plains, um, of those American states. That that seems like such an important idea. It seems like it should be important in, you know, a kind of Trumpist America, at yeah. least when the film was being made. And nevertheless, at least to me. Maybe I'm a bad film reader or film viewer, but to me it was relegated to an afterthought or a footnote in that film in Mank. Yeah, no, I could see with the politics side of stuff, that was the big thing that I kind of generally forgot what went on with it after I watched it. Like That was when I was reading again over what uh, the plot this morning. I was like, shit, yeah, I forgot there was a whole political element to yeah. it. Because like you said, it's like they go half in. So it's like either just don't do it or do it. And go a bit heavier on it, and yeah, yeah. yeah I, was, I was actually wondering when Jack Fincher wrote wrote this film because like, I actually couldn't I actually couldn't find like apparently when the script was the, made online. I'm pretty sure it was like the nineties, right? Uh, because I'm sure it, like, it seems it seems like you know like what we're talking about. Like, it seems like we need this like we can like we're meant to like need this film to now because it's yeah. there's parallels to be drawn between what, what they saw in politics in the thirties and what they saw in politics nowadays. Yeah, but, I'd be really curious to read. Um, because, like, I think he died in like the early two thousands. So I'd be curious if how close 
the actual like shooting script was to actually like yeah. the Black Fincher script, or if it's like a kind of almost in it in without meaning to kind of like mank, where maybe someone came along and actually did the big bulk of it, but it's like known as a Jack Fincher. I'd be curious. All I know is that apparently it was more anti Wales, and they had to take it, they had to tone it down. Apparently, hmm. but I don't know. Wow. I don't know if that means completely rewriting and just making this nice idea of it being David Fincher's dad, or if it's just taking out a few scenes or changing a few dialogue. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, do you think, do you think like Jack thinks <laughs> Jack yeah. Fincher, like I don't know, like Orson Welles was rude to him at a party one time. Uh, yeah, I was thinking. He's got, like, yeah, like, a <laughs> I was thinking that too. That must be. Because, I mean, I, everything I've read about Wells, like, he was controversial and he was strange, but he wasn't, you know, he was quite popular amongst Hollywood. I, I, he must have snubbed Jack Fincher at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, though, um, in the, like, when they were writing it in the 90s, it was always pictured as being, like, Kevin Spacey and Jodie Foster. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God they, like... They didn't go with the original cast. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know, at least, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> that would have been, yeah. that would have been rough. Oh, well, I mean, like, I mean, if this movie got made then and it would be, it was just Kevin Spacey anyway, then it'd be kind of inconsequential. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because people don't seem, to be, yeah. they don't seem to care about it that much. I was thinking, though, I was like, I think if it got made in the 90s, it wouldn't, it, I don't know, I don't think it would have been, because that would have been kind of when Fincher was st- not starting out, but kind of getting famous. Yeah, again, so, it is a bit more popular, I, more popular yeah, films. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't think it would have pushed him quite the way that like Seven or Fight Club, all that kind of films of that time did. It's probably good that you waited, to be honest. <laughs> do, you, do you think the fact that uh, do you think the fact that David Fincher, you know, uh, do you know, he obviously kind of like made it as an homage to his dad, but do you think it might? Do you think it would have been a better or worse film like without him? Because I'm trying, I'm trying to think about like kind of distinctly. Like David Fincher kind of filmic, like kind of yeah. filmic elements, but like with this, it doesn't seem doesn't seem that way because obviously they kind of make an effort to kind of pay homage to like Citizen Kane with the way they filmed. I don't think they're like doing it. They did any kind of direct ripoffs or anything like that. I would have found that quite cheesy. But um, yeah, I know what you mean. I think from what I can tell, he well from what I've heard, he was quite big into it being like the original sort of sound quality that we'd been used all that kind of stuff but other than that yeah I know what you mean if I didn't know who the director was I would not have guessed David Fincher I don't know who I'd have guessed because I don't think it had a particular style in terms of directing to it yeah what do you reckon here yeah I feel like I was just thinking um, if David Fincher's going to do a political film he has David Fincher-esque flourishes do you remember when uh, the social network finishes and he plays. I mean, I remember it gave me kind of chills at the time. It's it, Baby, You're a Rich Man by yeah, the Beatles, yeah. yeah. And just wrote, and it's such <clears throat> clever. I know, it's so such a good song choice. Such a brilliant song choice. And <laughs> um, uh, you go with, yeah, that's Fincher. And even when we were talking about Kevin Spacey, you know, God forbid, having would have played Mank in the 90s. When I rewatched Seven, the way that Fincher directs. Spacey and Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt in that film, especially in the last 15 minutes where it's really just the three of them, is phenomenal. Like, oh my God, Kevin Spacey, like, fuck the guy. But see that bit when he's delivering the monologue on his knees, no facial expression, no intonation in his voice, 
completely emotionless while Brad Pitt just like screams and balls and yeah, he's going what's in the box, but he's genuinely like the horror on his face. And David Fincher can do that amazing thing of the juxtaposition of extreme calm and extreme horror, yeah. which makes us feel at great unease. There's a bunch of David Fincher-esque qualities um, throughout his films that make him so identifiable as an auteur that don't appear in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I even think that if you were to take a director like Martin Scorsese, who out and out loves cinema, loves old Hollywood, has this romance, really romanticizes it, I still don't think he would be patient and sentimental enough to make a film about old Hollywood that didn't actually contribute anything modern or new to the canon. And that was the fel- this thing about Mank is that in this year of nominations of groundbreaking films that oh, are kind oh, of shifting yeah. the canon and representation, what is Mank? What the fuck does Mank offer? I know, it really annoys me because I'm pretty sure it's... I could be wrong, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure it's the film with the most nominations. Mm-hmm. And you know, you just think that it does not deserve that many. Like, in all honesty, I think if it wasn't the big names, I don't think it'd have anything. Like, yeah. It doesn't, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's 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 keep talking about the kind of award the awards because obviously it's mm-hmm. been uh, it's been nominated for loads. Uh, yeah. Best picture, though, best actor, best uh, supporting actor, best direct, best director at the Golden Mo- uh, best film and best director at the uh, Golden Globes. Yeah. And it's a weird one. It's another. It's, it's now another. I mean, talking about Martin Scorsese as well. It's another Netflix film to make it onto the uh, make it onto the Oscar Oscar mm-hmm. noms. Um, what what do you guys what do you guys reckon about the whole like? Uh, the whole, like Netflix streaming service, like versus versus cinema, quote unquote, like ordeal. Because obviously, like Mark, like we talked about Mark Scorsese, like he he despises, he, he, you know, despises <laughs> yeah. it. Like, yeah. he, I think he's been a bit of an old coot, but I uh, I love old coot Martin Scorsese. I'm like, ah, Marvel's not cinema. Netflix, yeah. not cinema. I love him. I love that he's like an angry old man. <laughs> Yeah, it's I don't like it. And like, literally, as you were saying, like, there's so many good picks for best film this year. Uh, sorry, I'm just gonna just gonna get them up. But like, plenty of stuff. I mean, and even in the uh, lean role, have you guys watched Sound of Metal yet? No, uh, I'm desperate to, and yeah. it just came on Amazon Prime. So. Yes, uh, Riz, Riz Ahmed is uh, yeah. absolutely fantastic in that, and I'd be. I mean, I mean, I'm like, I haven't, I haven't actually watched Minari yet, but I've only, only heard good things. Yeah, and I think it's just like I know. I think it might just like kind of sit there at the back because it was I, the same. It was the same with the um, darkest hour for Gary Oldman as well. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was another kind of inconsequential biopic. Yeah, it, but it feels like it has to get made, but it's not that. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that I'll uh, hold against Gary Oldman for the rest of my life that they he managed to make the evil, horrible bastard that was Boy Winston Churchill <laughs> into a kind of charming. Kind of lovable, lovable kind of chubster. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was witty and brave. But, uh, yeah, I know it's like uh, I, I do I do find it mad that it's another Oscar. But the thing is, like Hollywood loves movies about Hollywood, oh, don't they? Don't, like that's why I res- I like I know people have an argument against award shows in general. Not gonna lie, I love them. Um, I love the whole like ceremony of it and like all that jazz. Um. But I do have a lot more respect for the BAFTAs because I think the I mean, Mank wasn't, I think it was only nominated for like technical awards, like yeah. set production or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that's what it deserves. It doesn't deserve really like any of the bigger stuff. So I prefer how the BAFTAs at least they pick, quite often they'll pick stuff and it's like, I've not even heard of that. And it'll be some like low budget 
like film yeah. shot in London on location, yeah. like that kind of thing. Whereas, um, like you said, the uh, Oscars is a lot of like films about films. Like my, I, I agree with this. Um, that the the difference in the BAFTA picks and the Oscar picks, mm. it's been a funny old year, obviously. And yeah, my understanding of Manx's position on the Oscar roster is that. Obviously, just from a logistical standpoint, the pandemic has kind of temporarily disrupted cinema, how cinema is made. So we haven't had any blockbusters. We can't literally physically make big budget movies because you can't have that many people being that close to... It's just, we, it's not feasible right now. So the films that have been nominated have been smaller indie mm. chamber pieces, you know, little directors that we hadn't heard of before and things like that. Because those wee films are the ones that people were still able to continue making without too much disruption. You know, you can't get a thousand fucking extras to be in Mission Impossible 8 when there's a pandemic. Oh no, they actually yeah. did shoot Mission Impossible. I tell it back. But you can't have like, you know, really big blockbusters being made in these conditions. So Mank just seemed like it was there because they went, oh, fuck it. This is the only <laughs> kind of trad Oscar Beatty film that's been yeah. made. We better yeah. nominate it for a bunch of stuff, seeing as it's that's repping our peeps you know repping our old hollywood's style and i think it it actually gets away with being a netflix film rather than at the cinema because yeah. i think if it'd been on at the cinema i wouldn't have really bothered yeah i don't think i would have gone to watch it to be honest but the fact you can watch it on a laptop it yeah yeah i think you're absolutely right <laughs> like i don't think I, I don't think i would have like went out of my way to watch that but without, without seeing yeah, I mean, it's like... I mean, I know, it, I, to be fair, it gets reviewed quite well, but... Yeah. I think it's funny if you look at the, like, audience reviews for it versus critic reviews. True, yeah, yeah. It's, they're quite startlingly different. You know, what's... So it's got seven on IMDb, but 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. That's quite a big difference margin there, you know. Uh, it, it just wasn't a fun film to watch as an audience member. Like, I always think, this is quite, like, a cheesy thing, but, like, I feel like if someone was, like, making a film, you should either want it to have, like, a really big message or be, and, like, be important, or be, like, able to be someone's favourite film. Yeah. And I don't think it was you. Like, if anyone was, like, my all-time favourite film, you'd be like, why? The only, the thing... Have you seen no other films? The only thing a film can't be is boring. Yeah. It, like a film can be stupid or it can be it can be silly, it can be you know, thought provoking, it can be any of these things. As long as it's not boring. That's like the cardinal sin of cinema to me. And Mank fringed upon boredom mm -hmm. like for about ninety percent of the film. Yeah, yeah I, I know, because it is it's it is that kind of meander meandering Type way, which you know, I like. I'm not. I'm not. To I'm not totally against. I, I do quite like kind of slow-paced, character-driven stuff. Like when it's done really well. But yeah. I know. I feel like yeah, maybe the, the kind of. I know because they didn't. I know it's like I feel like. See, I feel like when I've when I finished watching it, I've enjoyed it more. But after having this conversation, I'm actually <laughs> oh, like, see, sorry. like the whole the whole the holes are starting to appear. Like when I actually really go and think about it, uh, <laughs> because I know because they don't even really lean into the emotional side either like uh they don't really see the kind of like the actual turmoil of like i know we already talked about alcoholism like even the way that like you don't even see any like deterioration of his like 
marriage with his wife or anything like yeah. uh she's just like yeah okay right you, you lost his like 24 <laughs> you lost his 24 grand in another stupid bet like that's fine lift your jacket <laughs> on and get you home type yeah. thing I, th- I thought the age difference was gross as well what the fuck is guy oldman doing being married to tuppence middleton who's like an actress at the start of the career yeah. As opposed to, like, I hate that shit, man. And it's strange that, you know, that's, that, that's a problem yeah. in Hollywood that people have been, um, people have been talking about lately, the fact that, kind of, it seems that we have no pro- no problem giving older male actors younger roles, but you'll never see an older female, you'll never see an older female actress uh, playing a younger role either, because it's just, like, like somehow, it's, somehow it's less believable, even though Gary Oldman just looks like an old man. Yeah, I was thinking that as well when we were talking about that earlier, but is him being like, oh, and I am only 44. I was like, there's no woman over the age of 40 that would have been given a role that they're like, oh, and I am only 44. It should be like 36 and just put in like heavy makeup. Like, There's literally a 30-year age difference between oh. Gary Oldman and Tuppence Middleton. And it's like, don't normalise that shit. Don't cast yeah. them as, as partners, as man and wife. Like, that's fucking... Oh, you know that's this same Hollywood bullshit. We get the same actors for fucking forty, fifty, sixty years, and you know female actors get traded out every ten years um, for someone younger. It's yeah, what? it's weird. It's weird that, it's, and the way they also make a point in the film of like the William Hurst and uh, Marion can't remember her second name. The Amanda oh, yeah. character that they make a point of the fact that it's like. He's like an old. He's like a old man who's like got like a young bride. Yeah. When like the age difference probably isn't even that far off. When you just like True, if, yeah. you took, if you took it on the act on the actor's point of view. Yeah, it's probably only an extra one. ten years or something. Like, yeah. Yeah, like why would they why would they leave that out? True. Ah well, well, so it's it's ruined. <laughs> it's ruined. No, I'm sorry. Sorry, <laughs> I'm just checking. Don't don't. Uh, oh, sorry, Kyo. Yeah, his was the same age as, as him. <laughs> <laughs> they were both born so, in eighteen ninety-seven. So, oh, oh, so me, why oh, have maybe. an actress thirty years younger than Gary Oldman? Maybe the alcoholism was like actually having a worse effect than we thought, and uh, <laughs> that is really how disheveled they looked at that age. Like he's he's added he's added thirty he's added thirty years onto his face by having a bottle of whiskey every day. The real Sarah Mankwitz was pretty foxy, by the way. From <laughs> <laughs> this one Wikipedia photo. Oh, the man is, you know, witty, witty and, you know, witty and charming as old Mankwitz, maybe. Why not? Why the heck not? Oh, well, so I think that maybe kind of wraps up our discussion of the movie for today. Well, I think we should just round it off with a wee arbitrary uh, <laughs> vote out of 10. Okay. So, uh, Grace, what do you reckon you'd give it? I was going to go for a five because I feel like obviously that's exactly neutral, but actually maybe even a four. I'm going to go for a four. Four out of ten. Four out of ten. Yeah, it seems a bit brutal, but I mean, I honestly think I'll genuinely forget about it within the year. <laughs> so, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, well, what, what were you, Keir? What are you giving it? I'm giving it two because Amanda said was very good in it, and that, that gets points. All right. Well, you know, I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be a bit nicer. I'm gonna give it a six because there was a, there was stuff I did like. But there was like there was there was definitely good mo there was definitely good moments here and there, and stuff that I found was charming and stuff I thought was nice and kind of like like you do get a kind of warm fuzzy feeling with this kind of like throwback to classic Hollywood. It's like nostalgia for something mm-hmm. 
they can feel nostalgia for almost. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> It's like yeah, yeah. It's like nice, nicely packaged nostalgia for you to enjoy, even if even though you're born inside of the century. And I guess it is about Citizen Kane. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and it, if Mank does one good thing, it's just make people rewatch Citizen Kane. Exactly, and go, oh, that's yeah. a good movie. Or maybe Very good point. year of Citizen Kane, like. What did yeah. you say? Sorry. Oh, say even like maybe to some people that have been living under a rock hear about Citizen yeah. Kane. <laughs> Yeah, because it's like generally referred to, like it's literally the saying, it's no citizen gain. Yeah, exactly. Referring <laughs> to the greatest film of all time. <laughs> that's a good way to sum up Mank. Yeah, that's a brilliant way to sum up Mank. It's no citizen gain. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. <laughs> anyway, so on to our, our news story for the uh, MCU, have just dropped a new trailer. That is for, one second, I'm just going to get the name of it is Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. Did I say that right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so I mean, um, just generally, I mean, how do you guys, how do you guys feel about the kind of MCU movies, the kind of massive, massive universe, Marvel flicks? I mean, not to sound like Martin Scorsese, but I'm not a big franchise person anyway, so I've kind of avoided Marvel. Yeah. Which, oh yeah, so I, you know, not not completely caught up with you know. The, no, I mean I watched I watched a uh, One Division because oh. I, I I love like old sitcoms. Yeah. Um, and then not I, I actually haven't even finished it because then when it started getting more marvelly. Yeah, yeah, it loses. Yeah, I mean that I, I I mean that I really did not like One Division, but uh, I like as a conversation for another day. Yeah, I just liked being like, oh, that's Malcolm in the Middle. That's such a. But um, <laughs> I don't. It's just something I've not got into, but I've. Do you know what? I can see why people like it, so I'm not going to diss it. <laughs> That's fair enough. What, what about you, what about you Kia? Uh Oh, well, I think, I mean, I think you know this, Ian, is that I I haven't seen a Marvel film since whenever Civil War came out. And my ultimate opinion was Iron Man came out, I went, oh, that was quite fun. And then I realised they were going to do one every year. And mm-hmm. then I realised that they were also going to be all really boring and I was I saw Civil War and I went, well, that was very dull. And I've not seen any since, or kept up with. They they're just not my cup of tea. I, I and I I I watched that trailer and like I didn't know it was a Marvel thing until David said, "Did you watch the MCU thing at the start of this call?" And I was, I'm so out of the loop; it goes completely over my head. And also, I'm I find it just flaccid media. It does nothing to yeah. me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, I like I've got like do you know things like I do I do kind of res- I respect the uh, the scope of uh, making something like the NVU is like the like one of the biggest kind of cinematic endeavors like making this giant you know like fifteen twenty movie world it's like it, like it's, it's a it's a cool thing to set out to do especially in a world where like you know in in Marvel all these people exist in the same thing so it's like it it seemed like it would make sense considering how popular like how popular superhero films were getting anyway yeah. i think really you're right like they do end up just being like because of the way superheroes turn out in comics it's always superheroes presented with bad guy you fight the bad guy defeat the bad guy they win and then they win and then you wait for the next uh and you wait for the next one to come out i think i'm just cynical as well like see anything that is a massive franchise and like, it's just a cash grab <laughs> at the yeah. end of the day um which i know is cynical because i know people do love them and it's just kind of the same with kiri like it's just i've never really invested any time into it and it's not really my cup of tea but 
I think I'm just cynical about it. Like, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, after after they brought out Endgame, which was the kind of mm-hmm. the end of the big kind of Thanos story, uh-huh. a lot of the kind of the kind of the, the end the ending of a lot of the kind of big characters of the last ten years, like that story came to close, and I was like, I was like, right, well, you know, like um, Infinity War and Endgame were quite satisfying, and now I just like have no interest in watching yeah. any more any more of them. Do they it's have like an? A, I didn't like religiously end up with. I didn't like religiously watch them anyway. Like I just would pick one up here and there. Like yeah. so, I got the idea. Do they have like an end goal in sight? Because it just feels like every year they're bringing out more and more. Oh yeah. Oh no, this is us until the end of time. I was gonna say it feels <laughs> like that, doesn't it? Like <laughs> the, MCU, just... the MCU will be here long after we're dead. Yeah. You'd assume that Hollywood goes through these phases of um, trends of popularity, mm. like and genre. And, you know, if you think of the last big... When that big bust in Hollywood came in the mid-60s, they were making the same films which 10 years ago would be very successful. They could spend a lot of money on something like West Side Story and they knew that everyone would go and see it and so they made all their money back and they keep trying it on and trying it on and then 10 years pass, the audience changed, so they do something like Hello, Dolly, but they're still spending the same amount of money as they did with West Side Story, even more probably. And because everyone's fed up, Nobody goes see it, big loss, and they go, well, that's it, it's no longer financially viable. I'm assuming they will get to a stage where audiences will mature and they're going to stop, they're going to go see these movies less, ergo they can't keep going for the big, massive budget blockbusters that'll have to die out. And well, maybe, or maybe it'll pave the way for, like, if people are getting bored of the cookie-cutter superhero film, there'll maybe be more, like, more space for, like, because, like, the, super, the superhero thing, like, it has an interesting concept to play around with. Like, you can get, like, kind of intimate super, like, int- intimate kind of super stories. Or, like, they don't even have to be about, you know, like, superheroes. Uh, I'm a big fan I'm a big fan of uh, M. Night Shyamalan's uh, Unbreakable. Like, I mean, I know he's a controversial character. I know he's a controversial character when it comes to films. But mm-hmm. taking the idea of, like, you know, dis- discovering, like, his strength and stuff like that. Like, it, like uh, there's interesting ideas at, at work there. Which you aren't really seen in a lot of these ones, yeah. but uh, so hopefully, like, well, if Kier's correct, then maybe there will be like, because obviously, like, we still there was a big massive boom in gangster movies, uh, like yeah. way back in you know, mid mid century, and then nobody wanted to watch them anymore. Yeah. Nowadays, when you see you see gangster films, that Mark Scorsese came and he was making these like really well thought out, hum- like humanized gangster like flicks that had some like real merit to them. And that was probably in the wake of a lot of kind of like shallow gangster films or kind of like... Yeah. And then True, you get yeah. kind of neo, neo-Western and stuff these days. I, yeah. I, I, would, I would be interested to see if like, um, you know, you often see with musical genres, they go through periods of time of being fringe and cult and under the surface with this... Like comic books where, you know, comic book culture was the outsider, the comic book guy, they were their own little community... And now they're massive in popularity. And, and, you know, like rock and roll dominate, not rock and roll, just rock, sorry, dominated the mid-60s to the early 70s. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, people are going, what guitar music? Who makes that anymore? It still exists, obviously, but it's not being, it's not selling the way it used to do. I, I don't know. I just, th- I, I don't worry about them inundate. I mean, Martin Scorsese worries because I think he doesn't yeah. want to die in a Marvel world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is possible to, yeah. Yeah, which is a, a sad potential reality. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, no, I mean, but it's, yeah. not like, but it's not like the superior genre is devoid of, like, 
kind of bad stuff. Do you guys ever? Did you guys ever see the series The Boys on Amazon? No, um, but I know people that watched it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that that's actually, that's actually really good because I actually I can have something to say because it, it, yeah. it's really a commentary on like MCU yeah. and the kind of uh, superhero boom because it's like all the superheroes are like part of a corporation, so everyone, so everything they say, everything they say or do is like <laughs> like uh, like <laughs> ran by a PR team and. Uh, yeah, it's all about keep. It's all about keeping stocks. It's all about kind of keeping stocks. Up. That sounds like kind of yeah. corporate element to it, which is actually a really in, it's actually a really interesting idea. Like it's like because it deals with kind of like sex scandal, but it, in a world where people can yeah. have powers and can be represented by. Is that well, like, I, I saw. Um, yeah, I like like kind of what you're saying about sort of playing on it as well. Because um, I'd seen recently. I think it was like someone tweeting about it or something. It was like you know Chloe Zhao, uh-huh. who's like done Nomadland. Sure. Apparently she she's going on to do um like a Marvel film or whatever, and people were sort of going like, oh, that's so annoying that like Marvel's kind of stealing all these like auteur female directors, and then some people were arguing like, but that is where the money is. So it's like you shouldn't just kind of leave these female directors to the kind of low budget. And I was like, that's kind of an interesting because. You think as like an indie filmmaker, like you'd be totally against going to these big budget. Yeah, but if you, I know, but um, I, said, I know, but then given the opportunity to leave exactly, I feel like it may actually be worthwhile. And also, like you can't really judge anyone for wanting a bit of cash either. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I'm wanting yeah, a big audience. Millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> I suppose that kind of brings us back to like the the imperative or the intent of the filmmaker in relation to the film that they're doing. Mm-hmm. If David Fincher's allowed to make a film. A sentimentally about something a screenplay his father wrote. Why isn't she allowed to? You know, she. It sounds to me like Nomad Land is a very personal film. Yeah. Every director you imagine at times will go. This one's for me. This means something to me, and this one is for the tax returns. Yeah. This one, so I can send wee Billy to fucking whatever <laughs> school, you know. Yeah. And, and, I and obviously. Yeah, I sorry. love it when. Sorry, I love it when like actors admit years later. They're yeah. like, yeah, I just did that because we needed a holiday that year. Or like, oh, the bills were getting a bit tight. And I'm like, yeah, yeah fair play. Like, yeah, it's like Robert De Niro these days. It's like for every oh. one great film he's in, he's been in about like 10 bad or, ones. Or Warby. He's, he's obviously filthy yeah. rich. <laughs> what is he fucking doing, man? What a, That makes me, every time I see Robert De Niro's wrinkled old raisin face in an Anne Hathaway comedy. Yeah, or I Dirty know, Grandpa. What the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or he was in that fucking car advert. What was it? The uh, yeah, it was like the, 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 the Kia Kia Nero or something like yeah. that. Yeah, it was the same as watching Harvey Keitel. You know, hey, direct line. Yeah. Don't be a don't be a <laughs> no. chump. You know, get on direct. Line. And the thing, the thing is, like that that makes me so angry as well because it's obviously meant to be Winston. He's obviously like Winston he's, Wolf. Yeah, he's Winston <laughs> Wolf. Like, don't sully that wonderful character with your fucking Brilliant with your bills. <laughs> I know, what a fucking sad... You know, and actually, come back to Mank, I, I was thinking a lot, a lot, a lot about Gary Oldman recently, and I, I, the the edge of that that man has, br- has brought to... Like, really, movies like Prick Up Your Ears, Sid and Nancy, like, there's they're a couple of my favourite films, and yeah. even in that, I remember my mum showing me, like, like, a lot of people, like, grew up where we were from, like, showing me The Farm, really young, and I was terrified of this man. And you see him in Leon the Professional and he's utterly monstrous and Dracula. And then fucking hell, you grow up as a child and you watch him in Harry Potter. And I love the fact that when he's Sirius Black, he takes that role as seriously 
yeah, as play Jordan. He ha- he acts his fucking socks off in those movies. Yeah. It's great. So why in God's name is he now for a few years now just played chubby, witty kind of daytime television alcoholics? Yeah. With yeah, exactly. Like with the odd kind of good line of dialogue that you're yeah. like, oh <laughs> yeah. I don't mean not much to them, but there should be. Yeah. Poor Gary. <laughs> and we'll leave it on that note. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah. Well, I mean, like, obviously, just to um, wrap things up. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, this just like uh, we never actually got around to actually talking about the actual trailer that came out. We just got into a conversation <laughs> generally. But um, I mean, to be fair, it looked different from other Marvel films. Yeah, it looks okay. It, it looks okay. I think yeah. it, was, it didn't have it didn't have a massive effect on me. I was, I was like, yeah, this yeah. will probably be a kind of fun fun action film which will be very inoff- very inoffensive generally yeah to all hearts and minds <laughs> but you know like yeah it's like it'll be it'll be fine it'll be fine i think it's just it'll just be another one under their belt that they'll make some money they'll make some money on and then move on to the next one yeah which exactly. is a sad which is a kind of sad reflection but i kind of wish know. we spoke about the fast and furious trailer that looked really weird Oh, I didn't watch it. <laughs> yeah, I think they're going to space. They're going to space now. They've done flying yeah. tanks. What? Yeah. There's only I mean, I'm, that's another <laughs> media oh, sorry, that I'm completely out of the loop with. You know, I've really not kept up with. I've only, I think, seen a bit of one film. But God, I watched that trailer and went, I think I need to go back and watch <laughs> all nine of these movies. By the way, yeah, wait. I so think... I missed the trailer. Is it? Is it genuinely they're going into space now? Like Greece? Oh, the there's, there's, a, Greece there's a ship that looks very sp- like it's going into space. They do fly, yeah. They were flying about a lot for a film about cars. <laughs> yeah, is that? Do you know? I think that's the thing with like the like Fast and Furious has that kind of like so ridiculous that it's actually worth like watching just to see what daft thing they do next. Like, mm. there's like they obviously have that kind of like the kind of <laughs> what number like, is that now? Bullshit emotionality. It's like it's about family. Like, nah, it's not about family. It's about people blowing each other up. This is what I love about this bloody franchise. If you just type into Google, is Fast and Furious 9 set in space? Google replies with, in September 2020, Michelle Rodriguez confirmed the film would be set in outer space as well. (laughs) (laughs) Straight. (laughs) So, do you know, maybe this, maybe this, like, they'll keep pushing the boat and then end up making a really interesting, like, interdimensional, like, film, which uh, deals very cleverly in time travel. Says there's rumours that Keanu Reeves is going to make a cameo. I wonder if he's going to be playing John Wick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he would just be playing Keanu Reeves like he does in every yeah, movie that he's yeah. in. <laughs> but anyway, well, I think that brings uh, the conversation yeah. just about to a close. Um, it's been a great, ha- been great having a chat with you today, guys. Um, I know, sorry to... I was so neutral. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. No, like, uh, no, it's a conversation because I, I quite liked it. Now, like, it's slightly less. Now, like, it's slightly less. <laughs> I've been brought down, but you know what? I was li- I was living in a bubble. I was living in a bubble, and you know what? At some point, it needs to be popped, right? I can't just this, I can't just like everything. This is why no one invites me to film parties. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't come and shit on it. <laughs> but anyways, it's been so good talking to you guys. Uh, so all all listeners, thank you very much for listening. Um, I've been your host Ian Shearer with my pals Grace and Kier. Uh, remember to like and subscribe on all sorts of social media platforms all that usual stuff um, any, any closing remarks guys? 
David Fincher's Mank is no Citizen Kane. I was going to say that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right, great. Right. See you later, guys. Thanks for listening.